Okay, well, uh, good to see you, and if you're visiting, we're delighted to see you this morning. Hope that you'll have a wonderful time, and if you're visiting from another church that's here for the weekend, please take a blessing with you back to your home church, and, and uh, we hope that you, you meet with the Lord. I'm, I'm so excited, by the way, by that, that little vineyard app thing. It's taken months to work out, and you know, I think it works on Android and Windows as well, doesn't it? So just go to the app store and upload it. It is fabulous. It's got a Bible reading um, program on there. You can actually listen to the scriptures. So uh, you can you know, sit on the tube and plug it in and listen to the daily reading. It's, it's got all the talks. It's got some videos. It's got what's on. I mean, it really is fabulous. I've got, got it on my phone already. I'm so excited that we, we could do that. And you know, I've already had People emailing me, somebody emailed me from Time Tees saying, where have you been all my life? You know, it's just incredible, isn't it? The way this, this kind of whole internet thing, you know, just sort of takes us to such exciting places and really helps us to get the, the gospel of Jesus out there. Actually, before I press on, it, it has been, uh, I have been asked just to say something, just to lend a little weight to uh, an email that, uh, Kev Nash, our children and youth pastor, sent out to you parents. Uh, folks, you know, we want this to be a great experience uh, for everyone, but we want it to be a safe experience as well. And, and mums and dads, some of the children, not many, but a significant some of them are be getting, getting a little bit too um, crazy. And we're, 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 we're concerned for their safety. So... Um, please, will you keep your children with you between the two services? It's, the, it's then when we seem to have marauding herds of feral children, you know. And, uh, and, and um, they, they, there is a safety issue, there truly is. Um, I don't want to scare you too much, but we get regular warnings from the police about paedophiles targeting churches, and we've had to see a number of... You know, this is a safe place if we are responsible. And mums and dads, we need you to keep your children with you. And, and just so that uh, this place is, is just what it's meant to be, a safe place for all and a place where Jesus is honored. So I don't want to you know, say any more than that, but, you know, please, you know, it's not okay to let your kids go tearing around and hiding in cupboards and things. It's just not on. So keep them with you, okay? Bless you. Right. I feel like I need to pray again. Lord, just help me now to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Okay, so we continue the Life Wins series. Last week, I left you with a bit of a cliffhanger. If you were here, talking about, uh, we looked at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus' final appearance to the disciples. We taught on that. I'm not going to do a big recap. And it ends up with him saying, go into the city, says to his disciples, go into the city and wait until you receive the promise of the Father. And uh, I, I, I left it there, you know, what is the promise of the Father? And let's look at that, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So uh, please turn with me, if you've got a Bible or a Blackberry or whatever it is you use, to Acts chapter 1. And uh, just in case you don't know this, Acts, the book of Acts, was written by Luke. And in, it, actually, in some ways, it would have been nice if they'd been back-to-back. -back. Luke ran in, on into Acts because the story continues. It, you know, just gets picked up in, in the book of Acts. But um, it's written by Luke, so the story truly is continuing. So let's just read that, the first eight verses, and then we'll get into it. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I could read on, but everybody said, amen. Right, there we go. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is a gift. It cannot be earned. It is something that is given. And God is free. He has, there's an old word, it talks about, there's a word called largesse. Somebody who is free with their gifts. God is full of largesse. He gives his gifts freely. And what he gives in this promise of the Father is himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not a thing, it's not a what, it's a who. And the who is the Holy Spirit. And, and throughout previous generations of God's people, there had been this mysterious promise that one day he would give himself in a very full-on and intimate way, and it would work about a radical change in his people. And that's what we're looking at today, the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I said, because of that reading, next week Rich is going to be teaching on that, at the actual moment, the, that, that significant moment when the, the Holy Spirit was given to the early church and how that affected and galvanized them. But today, let's just look at one or two of those Old Testament readings and then I will peel out, uh, tease out, I should say, uh, uh, some of the, the, the attributes, the benefits, the, the, the result, the fruit, if you like, of, of what having the Holy Spirit is to his church, God's people, you and me. So it begins with, the first reference we might look at is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And, and it's curious in some ways because uh, this is a prophetic book and, and, and you know, it's, it's quite a, in some ways, quite an obscure book. And then tucked away in the middle of this, there is this extraordinary promise where God says about his people, he says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Can't spend a lot of time on this, but catch the drift. God is gonna give us a new heart. He says that our heart before his ministry to us, his gift to us, is a heart of stone. I, I still find myself, believe me, asking God's forgiveness for my hardness of heart and, and asking that he would continue to pour out his spirit upon me and work a transformation in me where my, my heart begins to beat as his heart does. 
And he says he's going to put a heart of flesh in us. Now that, I tell you what that means to me is that I will become truly alive. You will only ever be truly alive when you have given your life to Jesus and when his spirit has been placed within you. That's when you come alive. Before that, you are less than alive. We are only fully alive when we have given our lives to Jesus, our sins have been forgiven, and he has poured out his spirit upon us. Now, that is the first little reference buried back there in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the life of Jesus. Many will know the next one, and in some ways, Rich will undoubtedly unpack this, but in the little prophet of Joel, in the prophet of Joel, where, where the prophet is, is warning Israel of a great, uh, a great disaster that's about to fall it. In fact, there is evidence to suggest that it really was a plague of locusts. Of course, the Middle East, as we know, many parts of, of that sort of central equatorial band are uh, plagued even to this day by, by locusts. And they seem to appear suddenly out of nowhere. And, uh, and then they swarm and they take every green thing out and a whole harvest can be ruined. Communities are decimated and it, there is some evidence suggests from, from the historical record that actually this happened to Israel and God was warning and what he said, it was a, it was a judgment upon them. But, but, I love, I love the way the Lord intervenes and, and brings that encouragement. He said, and afterward, in Joel 2, and we'll put that up, thank you, Joel 2, uh, 28, uh, sorry, 2, 28, it says, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And so God says that when his spirit is within his people, when they have this heart of flesh, they will become not just more alive, but they will become a prophetic people. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we had some words of prophecy in the forms of, of, of Scripture being shared at the end of the worship time. So, yes, it's a certain foretelling and speaking out godly things under the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But, in fact, it's much, much richer than that. God's people, as we have said a number of times, and we'll keep on saying, are to model God's kingdom on earth. And so God's people are prophetic in the sense that they model the, the kingdom that is to come. So it's more than just words. It's the way we are with one another, the way we care for one another. We concern ourselves with the safety of one another. But more, more than that, it's outward looking as well. We are a, a model to the, to the surrounding communities, Judah, Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth, which are take it out there. And we are to be a prophetic people that model the kingdom that is to come. And all this can only come about when God's spirit comes upon us. And so this talk, just for the, those who are recording it for me and videoing it later, it's called The Promise of the Father. The Promise of the Father. Now, something very curious. There's a little bit of a mystery here. You might like to do some of your own research on this. But the early church were impacted by this promise of the Father, and, and uh, it had an extraordinary effect upon them. It, it turned fearful men into faithful men. It turned them literally upside down. I think I've got a little line, the promise of the Father. Let's move the, the words on, thank you. And uh, what happened was that with Pentecost, suddenly these guys who were locked away and hiding and fearful became, you know, became martyrs and missionaries. But something extraordinary happened, and 
what happened was that as the church became more successful, as the church became more um, uh, well-known in, in the Mediterranean world, and, and particularly after the conversion of Constantine in, in, the, in the third century, when it became thoroughly institutionalized and part of the very fabric of, it became the official religion, it seemed that part of the downside of all of that was that there was it, this, this sense of urgency this sense of desperate need of God and his spirit within us, if we're gonna get the job done, seem to wane. Now as you read through history, there are many what we call revivals. But by the time we hit the, the 18th century and early and, and 19th century, it took an, an extraordinary awakening to, to wake us up again because we were, uh, you know, we were so far from God, we were so dead. And at the beginning of the 20th century, something very significant happened in a little place called Azusa Street on the west side of America, a little black church with, with a cross-eyed, dear, loving, I'm, I'm, I'm not, he was physically somewhat, you know, had some challenges, the pastor there, cross-eyed man called William Seymour, dear, dear, godly, prayerful man, just found himself crying out, crying out, crying out, there must be more, there must be more, oh God. Unless you move, unless you pour out your spirit again, as in days of old, we will die. Reli true religion will die. And as he wept before God, and it seemed to be, actually, it was remarked of him, and people still remark, that his main ministry seemed to be weeping before the Lord. If that's weird, I don't know what is. But it was for him, it became intensely personal. He would weep before God for hours, begging God to pour out his spirit again, as in days of old. And then on the 9th of April, 1906, God came in an extraordinary way. I would happily spend the rest of the morning telling you about that revival that broke out. It burnt fiercely for about, well, until 1915. And in those, those few years, it set fires ablaze all over the world and birthed what we call today the Pentecostal movement. And by that, I mean it's in its broadest generic form. It's a movement that spawned the charismatic removal that set all the traditional churches alight, the, the, the Anglican church, the Catholic church, all the mainstream denominations have, had, have and have charismatic wings to them. It set fire to the Quakers and, and the, the Vineyard Movement was born. It set fire all over the ways. It, it, it seemed to be literally like wildfire of God that set people alight. And for me, having been saved, having been introduced to Jesus, having made my commitment to Jesus when I was about 13, some 12, 15 years later, on the 18th of February 1977, after three weeks of crying out to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I realized I had not got, God came and set me on fire. Many of you know the story, I'm not gonna dwell on it. Some people have, there's been some debate theologically about this, but some people have talked about the second blessing and certainly those early 
Pentecostal Christians would talk about the second blessing. We weren't denying that people were saved, but they were saying, well, have you, be, have you received the second blessing? Have you been baptized in the Spirit yet? Has that happened, or are you in that in-between time? Now, for some people, they have to, like me, they have to sort of get on their face and pray and pray and pray and beg and ask. And for, well, I don't know why I had to do that, but finally the Spirit of God came and it turned my family upside down and set us on a whole new path. Other people, they get it when they get saved. Others, many people get it when they get baptized. He comes upon them and changes them and puts that heart of flesh in them, begins that work of transformation within them. Don't ask me how God, why it's different for some. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform, says the old hymn, and that's pretty true. But for each one of us here, whether you had it at baptism, whether you like me, had an experience after much prayer and agony. Let it be known that without the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to be able to make the difference that, that God has in mind for you as a follower of Jesus. So... A, a new heart, a new spi- spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me just now give you some little pointers as, as to what this looks like. First of all, let's have the evidence of the new heart. I'm going to move fairly quickly through this, but I'm, I'm hoping with, with the Holy Spirit's help, and I believe he's here today in a special way to do this, to tease you. Because that's what happened to me. I I heard of this kind of, I was reading a book. It began with me, I was just reading a paperback book and it made a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, what? What was that? And the book kind of went on. But I was stuck, what's that? What's that about? And I started praying and researching and reading and studying and talking to people. and, And that's, something kind of caught me. And I pray that it catches you. What are these evidences of a new heart? The the evidence of the residing presence of the Holy Spirit of you. First of all, there's a bias towards a godly character. And I'd always wanted to be a good Christian and failed miserably. But what I found once I'd received the Holy Spirit, been baptized in the Spirit, suddenly, I won't say it became easier, but suddenly I had the strength. It was still a struggle, but I had the strength. There was that bias. And I found myself inclined towards things that lead to life rather than things that lead to death. A silly little example, and I'm no judgment against anyone here who, who still smokes, but I used to smoke 20 a day and more for many, many years. When I received the Holy Spirit, one of the things on that day that happened for me was that I, or even though I'd grown up in a family who smoked heavily, my father smoked 45, 50 a day, you know, it was my uncle's smoke, we were a smoking family, boy, that was life and I enjoyed it, but suddenly for me, and I'm not saying necessarily would be for you, but for me, I suddenly thought my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather. I don't think I want to do that anymore. And instantly that addiction went. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Now that's a little superficial thing. The change within me was profound. You know, I've always tried to be a good husband to Fliss and I'm not sure that I've always been a good husband to Fliss. And those first few years were difficult. And I won't mind saying that I think we were growing apart. We were becoming married singles. We were beginning to have our own group of friends and our own interests. We were, as you know, successful in business and all the rest of it. We had money, we had all the toys, and we were beginning to grow apart. But suddenly the Spirit of God came on me on the, on the 19th of February, 1977, and suddenly I loved my wife again. And I started doing the washing up, and that nearly converted her. 
That in itself, she thought I was ill or sick or something. But I know it's, it is laughable, it to, but truthfully, I did. I used to be one of those guys that came home, expected the meal on the table, even though the kids had been going crazy, then sat and watched TV while she put the kids to bed and washed up and all the rest of it. I'm sorry, I, that's what I was. But suddenly I had, a, I had compassion for my children and, and my wife again. And that was the new heart. That was a heart of flesh. Now, that might not be a problem with you. I'm just, I'm just self-disclosing here, so be gentle with me. You know, <laughs> being honest here. Now, there were many other things. There were spiritual experiences and supernatural experiences and things that began to happen. I'm not going to spend time talking about that now. So there was a bias towards God's character. I suddenly, instead of it being onerous to me and a chore to me and, oh, my God, i got to be good, you know, it wasn't like that. I, I, I just, from the inside out, wanted to be that. The second thing, there was a, a bias towards God, God's word. I, I started reading God's word, not because I had to or ought to, but as I wanted to. I would turn the TV off and read God's word. It came alive to me. I, I, I wanted to, to learn. I, I wanted to suck out of it whatever I could. And I used my own time to do that. My downtime, when I could have been doing something else. There was just a, a hunger for God's word. Thirdly, there was a bias towards sacrifice, sacrificial giving. Time, energy, and money. Suddenly, uh, what was... What had always been mine, mine, and mine was now, uh, can I help you with that? Can, can I give you that? Do you, do you, you want to move house? Well, well let, me, let me just check with Fliss, but maybe I can get a transit van and I can help me move house. And, and suddenly our finances, Fliss and I, I remember we sat down and we looked at our finances and we completely rescued them. We rescued our aspirations and our ambitions and our priorities to put God's kingdom first. And we've always done that. We've always done that. Suddenly, because Christ gave himself sacrificially, because the church of Jesus Christ has got us to this point in time, the 21st century, has had to do that and has only done that through sacrificial giving. Suddenly, we found not that we ought to, should to, but we wanted to. It seemed to us to be the least we could do in the light of God's grace and mercy towards us. Fourthly, and then we'll move on to another little aspect of this. There was a bias towards action. I have always struggled with people who've said to me, not that I know of anyone here, but I've always struggled to those who've said to me, well, I have a faith, but it's a very private thing. Read the book. It's not private. It never was and was never meant to be. Christ hung naked on a cross on Calvary. How public does it get? How public does it get? And he said to us, take up your cross and follow me. That means that sometimes we have to break cover and own up to the fact that we're Christians. For, you know, whether that means that we get passed over for promotion or it causes a, sometimes, you know, not in an arrogant way, you know, but in a humble and servant-hearted way, we have to break cover and own the fact that we're followers of Jesus. I found myself in the context of my business, which I still had, literally talking to anyone who would pause for more than two minutes about Jesus. 
They would come in to look at fine jewelry, and then we, we had a beautiful jewelry shop and manufactured it. They would come in to look at that. And I would pray that God would send me people who were looking and searching for him. And I had grown men, I, this is not a lie, I had grown men who come in to buy an anniversary gift for their wife, spent a few hundred pounds weeping in front of my desk when, when, after I shared my story with them. Now, I wasn't walking around with a big placard, you know, turn or burn or anything like that. I was just being me, but I was saying, God, give me the opportunity, you know, honestly and naturally to be supernaturally natural. And I was amazed. I'd come home to Fliss and I'd say, it's extraordinary. You know, this bloke came in to buy an anniversary gift. And he was standing there. He, said, he asked me what I was doing at the weekend. Well, I told him. And it led, led to one thing. And in the end, there's tear, big, hot, salty tears running down his cheeks. And he's saying, I wish I had that. And I'd come home and Fliss said, well, I'd been at Mums and Toddlers. And, and some little... Some, I found a woman crying in the, in the toilets because her kid was kicking up so much and I ended up praying for her and, and oh, there's a cop that we're going to meet for coffee now. It was being naturally supernatural. All of this happened after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me move it on a little bit because I've already run out of time. Wrong uh, page, here we are. Verse 8, let me just read that to you again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Suddenly, it, it starts with me, it becomes local, then it goes translocal, and then it goes, it, it, suddenly you find yourself ministering and, and, and moving in, in areas you never thought. We swore blind we would never go near Leeds, let alone move into inner city Leeds and live there. And this church, I, I, I just so, I'm so privileged to be part of you here. You know, this year, Let's, let's just bear in mind what's going on this year. Samuel, our worship pastor, he's already been to the States, he's going to Norway, he's going to Sweden, sharing this wonderful gift of worship that God is with us, has given us. We've got an India team that's going out uh, in June because we've planted, we, 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 have, we have built orphanages out there and what have you, wonderful. Uh, this September, at our celebration, our 25th anniversary celebration, it's going to be, we're going to have a party and everything. It's going to be marvelous. At the end of September, we will be laying hands and sending out Nick and Sue Griffin, who are going to plant a vineyard church in Crouch End, North London. We're going to be sending out James and Catherine Barringer, who are going to be planting out the Hemel Hempstead Vineyard. We're going to be sending, sending out Henry and, and uh, Deborah Cross to plant a, a vineyard church in... Dunstable, and that's just this year. You know, and we've got these apps and things. I mean, you know, they go out and take it elsewhere, places we couldn't possibly go. I am so thrilled to be part of you and to be part of this expression of God's kingdom. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm just loving the way that we're beginning to get opportunities to, to influence. This Wednesday we're meeting here with the council and a whole raft of other varieties because they want us, they want us, they've asked us, will we set up a food bank? They've seen our, our feed ministry. They want us to set up a food bank for the whole district. 
And they're coming to us for help and advice. And if we can give it, we will. And if we can do it, we will. Many challenges. You see, it's not just about a private faith. I've got a faith that's very private. I'm sorry if that's what you came through the door with. It isn't sufficient. It does, it's not authentic. This is meant to be public. That's why we come together and we go out. It's a wonderful thing. I could go on and go on. It's a passion for Jesus, quickly. There's a passion for the gospel. Grace, grace, and grace. Not guilt trips. Not do this or you're going to go to hell. Do what I say or you're going to go to hell. Do what the church says or you're going to go to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about grace, grace, grace. Whoever you are, whatever you are, God loves you and will forgive you if you'll turn from your wicked way and turn to him. It cannot be earned. When Archie Kendall was here, he asked the question. Let me ask you a question. He said, if you're standing before God suddenly now, and he asks you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And if your answer is anything other than the blood of Jesus has washed me clean, you're in trouble. If it's, well, my wife and I, we planted this church and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and I've always tried to live a good life and I gave, helped out my neighbor and I lent him his, my lawnmower and all this kind of, whatever else. None of that works. The only thing that works is the gospel and the gospel is grace, grace, grace. We come in need of God's forgiveness, grace and mercy and he loves to give us it. That is the gospel. That's why the good news connects with everyone. Finally, a passion for people. You know the story, when I first went forward for the ministry, I was trying to get out of it because the call of God was heavy upon me, but I didn't want it, I wanted to stay in business. So I said to everybody who interviewed me, I said, there's only one problem in this, I hate people, does that matter? (laughs) They thought I was joking. I wasn't very fond of them then, for various reasons. But in 30 years of ministry, I find myself with a new heart, and I'm glad that God has called me to be a pastor, because I find myself loving people. I do. I may not have given you a big sloppy kiss recently. If if you ask nicely, you may still get one. But the reality is, the truth is, that, that God has done something in my heart which just amazes me, because in my own time, I worry about you. I fret about you. I pray about you. I miss you when you're not here. Many of you will have come up, will have had me come up to you at some point rather than say, I've been thinking about you recently. I haven't seen you for a few weeks. Are you okay? I don't know what it is. It's not me. It's this, this heart of flesh that has made me come alive. And I'm not there yet. And you're not there yet. And we're not there yet. But God is working us transformation in us and we're becoming the people that he wants us to be by his grace by his mercy full of grace kindness and compassion amen let's stand let's have the worship team up a little bit late I'm going to have to Kev forgive me brother am I okay to do a worship song (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> he doesn't look convinced. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you to you for your presence and this extraordinary free gift which we want to explore more in the next few days and, and, and weeks. And I pray, Lord God, that that desire, that intent of mine will be, Lord, I, I pray that it will have, for those of us who are complacent and apathetic, may, may, may I have unsettled them by your spirit so that they will begin to cry out to God and, and cry out to you. And, and Lord God, that they will seek your face and find you, Lord God, when they seek you with all their heart. We pray, Lord God, that you would work in us to put a heart of compassion within us, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, that you'll pour out your spirit to give us that passion for the king and his kingdom. And everyone said, Amen.